Sunday morning, I just want to talk to us men in the church. So all you ladies can go to sleep. I'm going to talk to the men in the church. Talk to us about coverages, manhood. But I also have a few words to say to the ladies at the end of the message. And you know, the end is usually the hardest part, the final punch. You know, it's very interesting how life is. We go through school, we go through college, and uh, we end up with a degree, or some of us end up with several degrees. And uh, we never really get prepared for some of the things that we are really going to be spending our life in. But nobody gives us any kind of training or any kind of degree for husbandry. So nothing really prepares us to being husbands. You know, we finish studies, we get a degree, we get a job and just get married and suddenly we realize, hey, I'm a husband. Now, what am I supposed to do as husbands? Nobody's really trained us, taught us on what husbands do. Don't have a degree for that. And then at some point later on, children arrive and we find ourselves as fathers. And uh, again, there is no degree for being fathers. So the fact is, all of us men are actually kind of stumbling around and trying to figure this thing out called being husbands and trying to figure this thing out called being fathers. How do I do this? They didn't teach me about this in school or college. And to add to that, the world around us is really not very conducive to helping us learn what it means to be good husbands and good fathers. There aren't too many things around that models to us what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father. In fact, on the contrary, Some of us may have had fathers or had the misfortune of having fathers who not only didn't train us for being husbands and fathers, but who may have sometimes ignorantly, sometimes not, because they also are figuring things out for themselves, set a wrong example for us. And so we've grown up with not only a lack of input from our fathers on what it means to be a husband and a father, But we've grown up, many of us have grown up without a proper understanding of what being a husband and a father is. Some of us have grown up in fatherless families, meaning either the father was there but really not there or maybe he was not there. So we really didn't have much input. I'm not saying all of us, but I'm saying many of us experience some of these things. We also have the problem of not sufficient Role models, not too many people that you can point to and say, that's a man who's a good husband and who's a good father and I want to be like him. Not too many of those role models for us men. And to add to this mix is the reality that there is a whole culture of confusion. There's total confusion on what manhood is all about. In school, it's all about how many girlfriends you have. In college, it's all about a bike that you have and how many different girls are behind it. And in the workplace, it's all about how many girls you conquered and so on. And there's a total confusion of what manhood is about in the world around us. Men who don't know how to be men, who don't know how to have real relationships with women, their children, or with other men. So we are growing up in such a kind of a world where 
there's nothing really teaching us or encouraging us to prepare for manhood. And several things I'm sharing with you this morning. Ideas I've borrowed from the book Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood by Dennis Rainey. And I've added some scripture and thoughts, some of my own thoughts to it. So if, you, if you'd like to, you could read that book Stepping Up by Dennis Rainey. So to add to all of this, there is this lack of understanding. What, is, what does it mean to be a real man? We are really not prepared for it. Winston Churchill is quoted often as saying, there comes into the life of every man a task for which he and he alone is uniquely suited. What a shame if that moment finds him either unwilling or unprepared for that which would become his finest hour. So many of us find ourselves totally unprepared for what could be our finest moment of being a husband and being a father. And as we go through life, we face all kinds of ups and downs, the challenges of life, the unexpected things that happen in life, the trials, the storms, and we're really not prepared for that either. So what does it mean to be a real man in our world today? What does it mean to be a real man? A real man is a man who's willing to face up. A real man is a man who's willing to own up. And a real man is a man who's willing to step up, face up to the challenges, face up to the unexpected things, face up to the storms that hit your life. A real man is a man who has the courage to face up to those things. The worst thing we could do when we face crisis in our life is to move into denial and do nothing about it. Pretend that everything is okay when it's not okay. That's not facing up it. That's not being a real man. A real man says, look, I've got issues. I've got problems. I need to find some answers. He's willing to face up to what he's confronted with. Own up. A real man has the courage to own up to his decisions or even his indecisions. Not like Adam, the woman you gave me. She's the problem. That's not owning up. That's not being courageous. A real man owns up to his actions, the consequences of his actions, takes responsibility for what is his. And a real man also steps up to whatever the occasion demands. He's willing to stretch. He's willing to go through the pain of reaching beyond what he's normally accustomed to, to step up to what life demands. And all of this requires one important ingredient called courage. It takes courage to face up to realities of life. It takes courage to own up to the decisions we've made or the lack of decisions we've made. It takes courage to step up to whatever comes our way. And so the need of the hour is for courageous men. Men who are willing to have the courage to face up, own up, step up to whatever life brings. Dennis Rennie writes, he says, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important. It's not that I'm afraid, but I realize 
Something is more important that I must rise up to. That's courage. And this kind of courage that we're talking about, that overcomes fear, this kind of courage that will face up and own up and step up, is a courage that is birthed from convictions that come from the Word of God. And we need this kind of courage. What is real manhood? Here are some quotes. A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects God's greatest reward. A real man, he rejects passivity. Inaction is not courageous. Doing nothing about the situation is not being courageous. A real man rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously. And he expects the reward from God. John Piper says, At the heart of mature masculinity or mature manhood is a sense of responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. Mature manhood. At the heart of it, there's a responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. But I think the best definition of manhood is what the late Dr. Edwin Cole repeated very often. He said, manhood is synonymous with Christ-likeness. Manhood is synonymous to Christ-likeness. The Bible calls Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6 as the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus came into this world not only to reveal God to man, but he came to reveal us to us. He came to show us what a man is to be in God. The Lord Jesus came into this world not only to reveal God to man, but what a man should be in God. He is the perfect man. Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, We must all grow up to a perfect man, which is the full measure of the stature of Christ. What does it mean to be a perfect man? To be like Christ. Manhood is synonymous to Christ-likeness. The perfect man is Christ. He is our Standard. He is our model. He is the definition of manhood. I want to share with you these five things that Dennis Rainey writes in his book on being a courageous man. And to his five things, I'll add scripture, add my stories to it and my thoughts. What is it? Who is a courageous man? What what does it mean to be a courageous man? And you know, there is such a need for real men in this other because. The consequences of us failing to be men is huge. The world around us is what it is, not because politicians have failed, not because prime ministers and presidents have failed, but I think it's largely because husbands and fathers have failed. Because we have failed to instill in our families, our children, what it means to be good husbands and good fathers. In the world. 
And so here children grow up not even having any clue, not receiving sufficient training, not seeing any kind of example of what it means to be a good husband and a good father. And they go out in the world, repeat, and perhaps exponentially increase the same error in the world. So the world is what it is. Largely because we men have failed in the home. But you and I can change that. Or at least begin the process of changing it. By being real men. In the place where it really matters. At home. So what does it mean to be a real man? Number one, the first thing Dennis Rennie shares is. A real man, a courageous man. Controls his emotions and passions. I'm not preaching this message to us because I've been a perfect man. Far from it. I've had my failures. I might have had many areas where I've failed and many areas where I've not been a perfect man. And that's why I'm preaching it to myself and to all of us. So we can journey in this together. Amen. We're all in this journey. And we must journey towards manhood together. So a real man, a recouragious man, is a man who controls his emotions and passions. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, meaning your being holy, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. In sanctification means holiness and honor. He says, this is God's will for you, all of us. What is it? It's holiness. Sanctification simply means to be set apart, to be holy. So this is God's will for us to be holy. That each one of us, each one of us must know how to possess our own vessel, this body, this own vessel. Possess it, keep it. In holiness and in honor. Not like the world. Next verse, verse 5. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not like the rest of the world. But we must know how to keep our own body, our own emotions in holiness and in honor. But the world thinks so differently. If you are a macho man, you're this man with these huge muscles. That's put on display. And when do you use it? Open the bottle. That's the only time you actually use your muscles. That's the time it's only on display. You know. So the world's idea of a macho man is just warped. He is the man who can talk with such arrogance. All the women bow their knees down. Oh, he's a macho man. Who loses his temper at the drop of a hat. And the Bible says, you got to know how to possess your vessel. In holiness and honor. There is no honor in dominating people. Or dominating women. With your temper. There's honor in that. So a real man, a courageous man knows how to control his emotions and passions. He knows how to respect women and children and protect them. He knows how to keep his eyes off pornography. He knows how to respect a woman's Virginity and innocence. He's a man with a, with a heart, a head, and a conscience. That's a real man. Secondly, a real man is a man. A courageous man is a man 
who provides for his family. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are strong words. The Bible places the responsibility on the man to be a provider for his house, to provide for his home, the the needs of his home. Now, I realize many of us men do fulfill this responsibility very well. We have no issues going to work. I'm providing for the physical needs of our home. In fact, many of us would gladly do it. But what I want to bring to our attention is that providing for our home is more than just providing for the physical material needs of the home. The home also has emotional and spiritual needs. And we must be careful to not get lost in chasing dreams and failing in the process of meeting the emotional and spiritual needs of the house. Amen? So being a provider for the house not only means you provide for the material needs of the house, and that's important, the Bible commands it, but we also must provide for the emotional and spiritual needs of the home. Take responsibility to prepare your children for adulthood. Having kids is fun. I mean, they're so docile. You put them in a place, they stay there. I think when they're kids. But then wait till the time they get out of their baby cot. They're running around the house. It's like, oh man, I got to clean up after them. If you think that was hard, wait till they hit the teenage years. Now, it's not about cleaning the mess. It's about, should I drink or not drink? Should I smoke or not smoke? Should I party or not party? It's like, whoa. And you have only 10 years to get them ready for it. By the time they are 11, they are making such kinds of decisions. 11, 12, something like that. And out of the 10 years, first 3 years, you're only feeding them porridge now, so forget it. So you only have 7 years. You only have 7 years somehow to give into their lives so that they can make huge decisions. By the time they're 12, 13. But as parents, as men, I'm talking to the men this morning, we must provide for that as well. Amen? Usually Saturday mornings, and I'll just share my own stories, not because, you know, I'm a great dad or anything. I'll just tell you my stories, what I'm, I'm learning, just like you, I've stumbled upon many things and try to keep learning. But Saturday mornings is usually time with kids. Sometimes we go play football. We're starting that up again next Saturday. Any of you young guys want to join us? You're welcome. And then it's their music class. So we take them to music class. And then I try to look for opportunities to you know, either have breakfast with them or lunch with them, one of the two. And during that time, while driving in the car, I try to use that opportunity to try to pass on something. Now, one thing we've, we men have to learn is children will not learn if you say, this is the 11th commandment, thou shalt not drink. They will go and drink. So you don't do it that way. I think all of us, 
You know, we learn that very, uh, our parents, we learn that quickly. That's the wrong, wrong way to teach your kids. They talk when they're really small. But after that, they need to know why. Why are you saying, I should not drink? Why? So you can't teach them that way. And secondly, it's very important, if you're going to gain access to their heart, you have to win their heart first. Otherwise, anything you say is like water of a duck's back. You got to win their heart. To win their heart, you have to enter into their worlds. So, go play football. With them. Why? You are saying, I'm interested in your worlds. Maybe the last time you kicked a ball was two decades ago. <laughs> but now that you are a father, time to do it again. You got to enter in their world. When you enter into their world, what? You win their heart. When you're interested in what they're interested, they will become interested in what you are interested. Amen? Got to find out. What are they like? Get involved. If you're not involved with that, whatever you say will not get into their hearts. So I tried to do that. And so yesterday we were having lunch together and I said, okay, I have a question for you. If you're in school and there's this restaurant near your school and one of your friends gets five or six of you together and says, you know, hey, I got 500 rupees. Let's all go for food in this restaurant. And he says, but I stole that money from somewhere. Let's go. What would you do? So I've discovered a new way of teaching. It's not new, but I stumbled upon it after all these years. <laughs> I wish somebody told me about this earlier, you know. That you make them think. Make them think. And create scenarios ahead of time. That will prepare them right now for that. So I created this scenario. What would you do? Without batting an eyelid, Ruth says, I won't go. So why? Because it's not right. Josh said, I won't go. Because even if he got the money correctly, I'm not interested in parting. <laughs> Fine. So we got the answer. We got them. And then, you know, I kind of gave a little talk on that. Sure. The point is this. By presenting them these scenarios, they're actually preparing them. So when it actually happens, they know. They've already made their mind up. They know what to do. It's not like at that time, hey, I asked 10 others what they do and then make it. They say, no, no, no. I remember I was eating biryani in Empire. And dad asked me. He already talked to me about this situation. I know what I said. It's already taken care of. Then I said, okay, good, passed. Next. <laughs> Next question. If on a Sunday, when you have to go to church and you have a church meeting, your friends set up a party and they invite you to it, what will you do? Trying to teach them the importance of the house of God. What will you do? I both didn't have to think too much. No, we say no, we won't go. And Ruth saying, all my friends are Christians anyway, so <laughs> they won't ask. No, but, but you know, the point is, you are providing spiritually for them. And not by saying, 11th commandment, thou shalt not party. 12th commandment, thou shalt not on Sunday go to parties. You know? No. By saying that they will not learn. But when he creates scenarios, let them come up with the answer. Now they'll remember. Amen? And husbands, fathers, be responsible for this. You've got to step into your kids' world, your, the, the world of your children. You've got to get interested in what they're interested. 
engage with them, and then speak to them, they'll listen to you. But how you speak also is important. Amen? Number three, a man, a real man, a courageous man, protects his family. Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, and see the sequence of responsibilities God gave Adam. It's very interesting. The first responsibility God gave Adam was to work. That's true. God put Adam in the garden. And he said, you will tend the garden. First responsibility. Work. Tend the garden. Take care of it. Cause the garden, the land to produce. Second responsibility was to Protect the garden. It's in the Bible. Second responsibility. He said, you will tend it and keep it. Keep it. The Hebrew is guard. Be a watchman. Shamar. Guard the garden. Second responsibility for man is to be a protector. And in the garden that the man was working and protecting, he brings the wife. What nice movie, right? See, God did it in the right order. You produce, protect. Now you're qualified to have a wife. So implicit in the role of us being men is not only to provide, but also to protect. A courageous man protects his family. Imagine it's three o'clock in the morning. You and your wife are sleeping. And there's some scratching noise coming in the, from the kitchen. What do you do? You tell your wife, wife, kitchen is your responsibility. <laughs> Go see what's happening. Or do you, as a man, get up and go to protect your home? And once again, you know, to protect not only means physical safety, but we also need to bring in emotional and spiritual protection. Over our home. Turn with me please to Proverbs chapter 4. You know David had many sons. And David failed miserably. With some of his children. He was a good man. He was a man after God's own heart. But when it came to some of his children. He failed. His biggest failure was that in Absalom. Because. If you read the whole story in in Kings and Chronicles, you will find that David actually ignored his children. He was so preoccupied with conquests and and so on. He actually ignored his children. And and, and consequently, his own children, primarily Absalom, rebelled against him. And it's probably that at this point, David realized what he was doing wrong. So later on when he had Solomon, things were different. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 to 15, we'll just read a couple of verses. There's Proverbs 4, 10 to 15. He says, Hear, my son. So Solomon is saying what his father taught him. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the ways of wisdom, I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. So Solomon is saying what his father taught him. His father told him, son, receive these sayings. You'll have a good life. 
I've taught you in the right ways and right paths. And if you will walk in it, you will not be hindered and you will not stumble. See, a father imparting instruction to his son. Is there any particular reason why Solomon would ask for wisdom when he became king? When Solomon became king, God came to him in a dream and said, Solomon, you ask for anything I'll give you. You ask for anything and I will give you. God asked. God told Solomon. Why did Solomon ask for wisdom? There is no chapter and verse for it. But by reading these verses and other verses like this in Proverbs, it's most likely because David taught Solomon the importance of wisdom. His father told him, my son, get instruction, get understanding. With all you're getting, get wisdom. That's the principal thing. So when his moment came and God said, Solomon, ask anything. Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. Why? His father taught him. But the principal thing is, get wisdom. I wonder what kind of decisions our children will make, men. What kind of decisions will our sons make? What kind of decisions will our daughters make? And they are faced with those moments in life. Are we preparing them for those decision moments in life? So to protect family means that you bring in emotional and spiritual protection over your children. Preparing them for decision moments in life that they make the right choices. Amen. I'm so personally grateful so to dad and Nancy. You know, we have the blessing of having grandparents around. Now, grandparents can spoil your kids or they can help in the nurturing process. And they're a big blessing. Now, Joshua and Ruth learn a lot from them as well. So I remember one, you know, again, just some stories from my own life. And I'm not saying this because I'm perfect, but I'm trying to learn. How do we protect our children? Remember Joshua and Ruth? I might have shared this with you. Remember sitting at a table, going to have dinner. Joshua and Ruth sitting and said, kids, I want to tell you something very important. So yes. Now Ruth's 11 and Joshua's 14. And, all right. You know, amongst your friends, everybody's talking about boyfriend and girlfriend. No. So kids, very important thing. Don't worry about boyfriend and girlfriend till you're 25. Till you're? 25. So why? Now we had to go through the reasoning process. You cannot just give a commandment. They won't accept it. It's going to give it reason. to see kids. As you're growing up, you've got to enjoy life. Study. After study, you've got to decide what you want to do in college. Do you know what you want to do in life? Not yet. So how can you figure out who you want to marry? Decide what you want to do in college. And once you're done with college, you get into a job. Then you're ready. So kind of go through this reasoning process with them. Explain to them what their journey up ahead is all about. Why are you doing it? Protecting. By helping them think through this whole process. You're being a protector of your children. So that even before they're challenged with it, they know the answer. The other day, I was driving with Joshua after a football match and picked him up from Accelerate and just going back home. And I said, Josh, do your friends drink and smoke? Yeah, dad, they all drink and smoke. Almost all of them. The ninth standard. Don't ask at school. <laughs> Said, yeah, they all drink and smoke. Uh, has, any, has anyone asked you to do it? So thankfully, no, not yet. It's okay, Josh. What will you do? What will you do if one of your friends asked you to drink and smoke? 
I didn't give him the answer. Came the question. What will you do? It's only nine standard. But you've got to start protecting now. Because that's the word. Ask the question. What will you do? And you go through the process of why it's not right to smoke and drink. Go through the process. Reason. So now he already knows the answer. Amen? What are you doing? You're being a protector of your family, your children. Emotionally, you're protecting them. Don't leave it to their friends to teach them how to smoke and drink. You protect them from it. By helping them reason, understand, analyze what is right, what is wrong. Number four, a real man, a courageous man, serves and leads his family. This whole thing about headship, you know, the Bible is kind of funny. Because the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. But then it also tells him, be like Jesus, give your life. So it's almost like two opposites. You be the head and you also be the tail. You be the head leader and you also be the servant. And that's what Ephesians 5 is all about. It says, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, for it. Now give your life. You make your life a sacrifice. If you're the leader, you've got to lead. You've got to provide. You've got to protect. But you also got to be a servant. Now I'm going to say a few things that might upset some of you. But it's okay. I've got a pulpit. I'll stand behind it. You know, culture has its pluses and minuses. And I respect culture. Wherever we go, you know, there are good things in culture we must respect. It helps maintain, you know, cohesion and tradition and all of that. But there is something I've noticed in our Indian culture in the south and in the north that I'm really upset about. I've noticed in many homes, even in Christian homes and even in the north, north India, you go, when it comes to meal time, the men all sit at the table like Maharajas. The woman lays the table, puts the plates, come and serves the food, and she waits till everybody eats. The men finish and go off the table, then the woman cleans, then she goes to the kitchen, eats a little bit something. I know in some of our homes, we've already dismantled that, thanks be to God. But this thing, I feel, is very wrong. But it's our culture. But through that culture, we are reinforcing sometimes even unintentionally, that the woman is second class. Whereas my Bible says in 1 Peter 3, that men and women, we are co-heirs. Co-heirs means joint heirs. We get equal share of the kingdom. Meaning, both sit at the table, both eat at the same time, both eat the same food. Co-heirs. Men and women are co-heirs. We are co-equal in the eyes of God. Amen? And I was, this has happened last year. I was, I was up in North India. I went, I was invited to a Christian home to have food. I was watching all the men were standing, sitting already at the table. There were two chairs already. I mean, chairs vacant. I said, auntie is there. I said, auntie, please come and join us. They said, no, 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 no. I wanted, I said, what's wrong? The chairs there, food is there. Auntie, no, no, you please come. We'll all eat together. Come, auntie. And bring your daughter. We'll all sit and eat. No, 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 you all eat. Suddenly it struck me, you know. I'm forcing her to break tradition. Oh, okay, better keep quiet. Yeah, it's not my house, you know. But that's when it hit me. Whether I'm in the south or whether in the north, this is so much part of our culture. The woman waits till all the men have eaten, gone, then cleans up, then eats. I said, this is not fair. You're going to eat the same food. Amen? So real men, here's a challenge. 
dismantle this in your house. So my grandfather will get upset. Listen, this is your home. Not your grandfather's house. In your home, you establish what goes on. Amen? So, when you go home today, lay the table for your wife. Amen? You bring the food. Ladies, wait, the final punch is coming. <laughs> You're all clapping now. <laughs> you bring the food. Tell everyone to sit down together. Have the meal together. Because you're all co-heirs. Equal. And there are some good things about the Western culture. In the West, in most cases, I'm not saying all the time, but this is predominant in the West. The husband washes dishes, does laundry, cooks the food, cleans the garbage, cleans the house. Amen. Now what's up with us Indian men? In the West, it's part. Husband, wife, do this, everything in the house. Amen. And in our home, I have no issues. I wash dishes. I do laundry when I need to. I can sweep the floor. I've experienced all that. And <laughs> I can cook. No issues. Now, don't ask me to invite you for lunch. <laughs> I cook from time to time. This week, I'm not boasting. Just this week, I made fish cutlet. <laughs> but shortcut, okay. <laughs> I got the tuna cans. But even that is work. You know, I bought the tuna cans, mashed potato. Blended it, put masala, everything, fried. No issues. It came out good, so I've been recommended to make it again. You know. So, we are co-equal. And men, a real man is not afraid to do dishes in his house. A real courageous man is not afraid to do the laundry. To clean the house if he needs to, wipe the table, cook. No issues. Why? Be co-equal in the house. He serves and leads his family. And finally, a courageous man follows God's design for manhood. A courageous man, a real man, follows God's design for manhood. Don't follow the example of the world. The world's got a really mixed up idea of what manhood is all about. Yesterday, a funny thing happened. I was going in the car. I saw this bike. The back seat was so high and the girl was almost falling off the top of it. I was like, what kind of a bike is this? You know, I said... The girl doesn't realize it. If the guy just jams his brakes, he goes flying. Now the world thinks that is being a man, you know. Got a totally mixed up idea of what manhood is all about. But a real man follows God's design for manhood. Jesus is the perfect man. Manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. What do we know about Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 it says... Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I come to do thy will. A real man is committed to doing the will of God. That's manhoods. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Man, what is good? What does God want from you? Very simple. He wants you to do justice, meaning do what's right. To love kindness, be a kind person, and to walk humbly with your God. Man, this is what God wants from you. What? Do just, do what's right. Love kindness, and walk humbly with God. A real man is a man who follows God's design for manhood. As a man, I must walk with God. You know, all of us men sitting here this morning, we are all broken. None of us, myself included, can say, you know, 
I've been a perfect man. No. But I want to encourage our hearts this morning just by reminding us about the passage in Jeremiah 18. You know, God sends Jeremiah to the potter and he sees the potter working on a lump of clay. And as he's working with it, it's marred. Something goes wrong with it. And then the potter takes a whole lump, mixes it up again, puts it back on the wheel. And now he starts fashioning it. And this time it comes out as a beautiful vessel. And God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I can do with you what the potter did with that lump of clay. All of us men are broken. We've all failed many times in many ways. But our God can remold us and remake us to become the kind of men we are truly supposed to be. Amen. It's up to us right now whether we would go to God and say, God, I want to accept your call to genuine manhood. I want to accept this, what I heard today. I want to step up, own up, face up. I'm willing to do it, God. Or we could just continue in life as we are and not do much. But we could be men who will make a difference. Amen? For ladies here, for the wives, just two things. Wives, be very patient with your husband. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's still figuring it out. (laughs) Honestly, nobody told him what it means to be a husband. He never learned it in school. At least you have home science. I don't know what they teach in home science, but at least you have that option. We men don't even have that choice. We learn nothing of what it means to be a husband. We learn nothing of what it means to be a father. And when all these things come upon us, we are trying to figure our way through this. So wives, be patient. Secondly, wives, be an encourager. Now don't go home after service and say, you heard pastor's message? Point one, fail. Point two, fail. Point three, fail. Point four, fail. Point five, fail. Please don't do that. You know, we men already know all our faults. And really doesn't help us when wives keep pointing out our faults. Doesn't do us much good. We know already what our faults are. What we need is an encourager. Who will help us no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we fumble. Who will help us try to become the man God wants us to be. So wives, be your husband's encourager. Amen. He's still trying to figure his way out through all of this. Encourage. Speak words that are positive. Speak words that build up. Speak words that support. Even the little that he does. Encourage that. It'll become more. Amen. Finally, you young ladies. Looking for a husband. Two words of advice. One, forget about finding the perfect man. There is no perfect man. There is no perfect man. What must you look at? Look for a man who's journeying towards manhood. Who's set on that. I want to be like Jesus. Look for such a man. Because if he's truly going to be like Jesus, he will truly treat you the way Jesus teaches him to treat you. Look for a man who's pursuing Christ-likeness. Amen. Don't fall for these, you know, these things that are outward, so outward. Whether it's money or possessions or success or achievements. Those things anybody can do. Look for a man who's walking humbly with his God. 
Look for a man whose heart is set on the Lord. Look for a man who's pursuing true manhood. Amen. We men are going to take a moment here this morning just to pray before God. You know, don't pray this morning because you're perfect. I mean, there's none of us who are perfect. But pray because in your heart, you're willing to pursue God's design for manhood. None of us are perfect. But if we are willing, then God will help us. Maybe till this day, you did not really invest in your home, your family, your children. But it can change today. It's never too late. From today, you can be the provider for your home. Not only the material things, but also the spiritual and emotional. From today, you can be the protector in your home. Not only the physical protection, which you already have done, but even the emotional and spiritual protection. You could start today. It doesn't matter what has happened in the past. They don't have any control on the past. Who we are today and who we will be tomorrow is what we can affect. So this morning, would you just pray and say, God, help me be a real man. Help me to rise up to this call to courageous manhood. The past is outside our control. We can't change that. But perhaps you can influence another young man. Maybe your own son, your daughter, or some other young man, some other young woman. Influence them. Prepare them for their future. Say, Lord, I want to leave a lasting legacy. I want to leave a legacy that people will benefit from. As a man, I'm willing to face up, own up, and step up. Give me the courage to Lord to do it. I'm willing to be a courageous man. I'm willing to pursue God's design for manhood. I don't want to imitate the world. The world is really messed up. I want God's design. Christ-likeness, that's manhood. Walking humbly with my God. Loving kindness and doing what is right. That's what God requires of a man. God, help me to be a good model either to my children or to my grandchildren or to other young men around me, God. Help me to model what it means to be a genuine man, a real man. Help me to model it. Let them see in my life, maybe not a perfect man, but at least a man who is striving for mature manhoods. Let them see in me a man who is journeying towards manhood. Let them see that in me. If at least one or two or three can be inspired, can be influenced, that's great. Take this moment to pray. And wives, would you take a moment to pray for your husbands? Maybe he failed many times. Maybe he failed many ways. But would you just be gracious? Would you extend patience? Would you pray and say, God help me to be his encourager? 
as he journeys to mature manhood. Would you just pray that from your own heart, God, I'm sorry for being so impatient with my husband. It didn't seem like he grew up fast enough for me. Whatever. Ask God to help you be your husband's encourager. And young ladies, maybe you're standing here, you pray and say, God, help me to determine to find a man who's pursuing true manhood, who's pursuing Christ's likeness in his life. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. Be husbands, be fathers in our homes. Help us, we pray, that you'll help to fulfill this responsibility, God. You know each one of our lives. You know our circumstances. You know our situations. You know where we are. And we ask, oh God, that you will give us the grace to be courageous men. Men who will face up, who will own up, who will step up. In spite of what the past in spite of what has happened in the past, may today be a new beginning by your grace. Help us journey. Make this journey to being the kind of men you want us to be. We ask this, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's close. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.